On this episode of Skeptico, Marilyn Hughes, author of Near-Death and Out-of-Body Experiences. One of the interesting things about doing an experiment like this is that most of the time when I'm when this sort of thing is happening, I know a little bit about the family. And so this was actually very interesting for me to do as well because of the fact that there was the no feedback rule and so it was it was kind of running blind and just hoping that you're catching what she's saying correctly and seeing things correctly and translating it correctly. Stay with us for Skeptico. Welcome to Skeptico, where we explore controversial science with leading researchers, thinkers, and their critics. I'm your host, Alex Sikaris, and on this episode, we're going to look at the psychic medium experiment that we've been doing. Now, I haven't spoken much about it in the last few episodes, but there's been a lot going on, really, for the last few months. So let me take everyone back to the beginning, at least the Skeptico beginning, and let's start by maybe defining terms a little bit. I think Everyone who's listening to this show is probably familiar with psychic medium communication. Someone's lost a loved one, they go and talk to a psychic or a medium, and they try and connect with that loved one through some anomalous means that we don't fully understand. Now, keep in mind that the skeptical take on psychic medium communication, and this is certainly the position of mainstream science as well, is no way, no how. Never been proven, and you get a lot of this hundred years of nothing stuff. So once again, and I really feel a need to point this out, we are faced with this absolutely insane disconnect between what science is investigating and what people care most deeply about. I mean, let's face it, what happens to us after we die is something we all think about and we all care deeply about. So in terms of this experiment, it really started about 18 months ago when I appeared on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe show with Dr. Steve Novella. And I challenged those folks to do a public demonstration of psychic medium work to show that it really does happen. And you may recall that we had a lot of communication about that, but it never really came to pass, at least for a year it didn't. And then near the end of last year in 2008, I decided to tackle this project on my own, or at least to dig into it, and that's what I've been doing. I've updated you several times on the progress that we've made, but this is going to be a little bit of a different update, because the project has personally taken a couple turns for me that I couldn't have expected, but have been wonderfully enlightening, and I want to share a little bit of that with you. You know, first, this whole thing has been terrific. I mean, it's been fascinating to speak with so many psychics mediums, out-of-body travelers. I mean, one thing you run into right away when you get into this is that you find that the labels that we sometimes throw around don't sit well with the folks doing the work, and I want to respect that. So that's been amazing. It's also been amazing to connect with so many folks who are dealing with the death of someone close to them. It hasn't always been pleasant and fun, but it's been rewarding on a different level. So in the last few months as I've been running these trials, I've learned a lot, I've certainly made a lot of mistakes, and then I've kind of come back and learned some more. And then a couple of months ago, I reached a little bit of a turning point. I had run about three trials on the medium experiment and the way that I was doing it. 
I had achieved some mixed results. Some of the experiments were showing extraordinary results, a million to one above chance levels. Others were not. Some of the readings were personally transformative for the people who were grieving. Others were not. Now, along the way, all along the way, I kept asking our mediums how we could improve the experiment, how we could make it better. And the answer I got, and I got this a number of different ways, but ultimately the way I came to understand it is that I have to slow down and do these experiments, these trials, one at a time. And it's funny because I came to appreciate at a deeper level something that Julie Beichel said a while back. And it's something that I initially kind of bristled against. And that's that you have to serve everyone involved, the living and the dead. Now, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but hang in there with me because that's what this show is all about. It's about one reading, one gifted person who's somehow able to connect with people who've died. It's also about one grieving mother, and it's about one young adult who tragically decided to take her own life. The story starts back in January of this year, 09, when I was in the process of recruiting mediums for this experiment, and I ran into Marilyn Hughes of the Get this, skeptics, you're going to love this. The Out-of-Body Travel Foundation at outofbodytravel.org. Now, if you're one to snicker at the name, just wait until you dig into what Marilyn has to say. For many of us, even believers, the idea of God sending people on a journey through countless levels of spiritual realms in order to aid lost souls, all a little hard to take. But two things that drove me forward with Maryland were, one, I'm no longer put off by folks who believe in strange things that I don't have any experience with. Heck, if Skeptica has taught me anything, it's that a lot of very down-to-earth people, like skeptics, believe in all sorts of things that they don't have any experience with. And the second thing that drove me forward is that there was just something very engaging about Maryland. I don't know, I just really liked her almost immediately. So I was really thrilled when Marilyn agreed to an interview. But when we first started talking about the experiment and what we might be able to do together scientifically, I had some real doubts it was going to work out. I think you'll see what I mean from this first clip. Well, it's an interesting question. And um, I've been thinking about what I would what I'd say to you in terms of like how I think it could be done. And I think the thing that I would share is that from what I've experienced, this is where the challenge lies for science, is that when we leave our bodies and we go into different spiritual states, we enter worlds that have different laws than third dimensional reality. And so in order to take science into that study, somehow we have to integrate and include those different laws of existence Different laws of existence? Isn't this the kind of woo-woo stuff that just drives skeptics crazy? But you have to ask yourself one question. What if it's real? And that's the question I asked. So I pushed forward with Marilyn. I told her about the trials we'd already done. I told her about some of the other out-of-body experience research that had been published. So my dialogue with Marilyn continued, and we started to kind of hone in on something that we might be able to do. Here's Marilyn again. You know, the one thing that I think is more likely to be workable in terms of what my situation is, is 
uh, utilizing out-of-body experiences for uh, messages for people. And I don't know how far we can take it. Um, I do receive, you know, in out-of-body travel. I don't, I don't have the mediumship thing like a John Edward or someone like that. Right. I receive messages and people come visit me in out-of-body experiences. That sort of thing is actually fairly common, and I don't, it's so common that I don't even really document it. Um, there are a few people that I could bring forward that could share some of the things I've told them um, that I can remember or that I still have contact with, because a lot of times it's someone who randomly comes across my site and asks for help, and I just tell them I'll pray, and if I get permission, I'll let them know what I hear, and then, you know, that's the last, I'll tell them what, what happened, and they're happy and they move on and I don't, you know, I don't keep track of them, but I could start keeping track of them and then, and then you're talking about probably doing it in a controlled environment. And I think ironically, uh, one of the things that is much more powerful with these experiences is that personal contact. So if you're doing it in a university setting or something and you have a pool of people who have some kind of needs or whatever that I can actually face, talk to, touch, and um, uh, just see them, it's much more likely to uh, happen that way. Does that make sense? That's awesome. So it, it, let me make sure I understand what you're saying, is that you re- generally, because you attract so many people with your message and through other ways, people come to you and say, Marilyn, can you please help me with connecting with so-and-so? Right. And, and then... In your, in your experience, a lot of times those messages are answered and then you pass those along to the, to the right. folks. Right. And see, what happens is it's not just that, though, and that's why I'm saying I'm not sure how far we can go with it. Um, in a situation like that, because, because it is God-directed rather than me-directed, um, it can happen in a number of ways. You know, somebody might want to have contact with a relative who's passed on, but yet it might be one of their guardian angels who comes to me and says, well, this right. is what they actually need to know. So we're not sending um, dad to see them today. I'm coming to tell you this. Then there are other times, too, when they have problems or issues that are going on in their life that will be shown to me in some way, shape, or form and how they uh, might best handle it. And so it can be in a variety of ways that it would that it would happen. So at this point, I was starting to get a pretty clear idea about how we might run an experiment with Marilyn. And I was really impressed with her openness and her willing to do this. I've spoken with a number of mediums, and when you really get down to brass tacks about doing a public experiment, really putting them on the spot, they sometimes get reluctant. And I understand that. It can be a real setup to take something that is this extraordinary and try and put it under a spotlight and say, do it now. It it just doesn't happen that way. But that wasn't where Marilyn was coming from. She just wanted to push forward and find the best way to do it. So I started asking her how we might refine it, how we might find the best possible candidates. I don't know why I didn't think of mentioning this before, but, you know, I work at the Catholic Church, and so, of course, we do um, two or three funerals a week on average. And um, one of the things that seems to happen, and and this can sometimes even happen while I'm awake, where the person will just all of a sudden be with me, and all of a sudden they're just talking, 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 and I'll just be, sometimes, you know, I'll do this without even letting the people know 
that I feel their presence because not everyone's open to this, but it still helps them when you tell them these things because uh, the deceased person knows what those family members believed beforehand and they present it to me in a way that they know the family can hear and listen to. And so what I have found is that it's the unresolved ones that are more likely to come through. That's part of the reason, you know, I'll pick these people up, you know, just driving down the street. Uh, if you drive by a car accident and there's some souls that are still there and they have this unresolved stuff. So it, there can be a lot of things, murder, suicide, accidental overdoses. Okay, this was a good little twist, a good little insight into Marilyn's process. And I want to follow through with that. So I took some of the other points that Marilyn had mentioned, and we talked a little bit further. We nailed down the particulars and how we we're going to run this trial. And I set off on finding us a participant. Now, I've been running an ad in Craigslist looking for participants for the last several months. So I have a pretty good database of potential sitters to choose from. And when I sorted these people by the criteria that Marilyn and I had talked about, I had four or five people that I thought would be pretty good. But I wound up picking Michelle. And I'm not going to reveal her last name because it's really not necessary. Michelle had lost a daughter to suicide at age 20. And she was looking to connect and had volunteered for the experiment. So I emailed Michelle and then eventually wound up talking to her on the phone and asked her if she wanted to not only participate in the medium experiment, but participate in this more in-depth public trial. And she agreed. So here's the protocol we set up. I asked Michelle to send me an article of clothing that her daughter had worn. And she did. She sent me a hat that was very special to her. I also asked her to send me some photographs. She did that as well. And I collected some general information about her daughter. First name, date of birth, date of passing. This is all information that Marilyn had said she would like to have during the reading. Now, I was acting as the proxy. All information would be sent to me, and then I would send all that information along to Marilyn. Then I would receive the reading from Marilyn, and I'd pass it along to Michelle. Now, since all the readings came through in email, this was an easy thing to do in terms of controlling exactly the amount of information that went through to Marilyn. So here's what happened, and this is an amazing part of the story, number one. While Michelle was in the process of sending me the hat and the photos, I passed along a little bit of information to Marilyn. Now, I want you to put yourself in Marilyn's position for a minute. Here's the information that you received. You don't know who I've selected. You have no idea. But here's the information you receive. First name, Megan. And then I'm going to give you the month and day, but not the year that she was born. And I'm going to give you the date that she passed. Okay? So that's all you have. You have that information. Now, I was going to send her the rest. I was going to send her the hat, and I was going to send her the photo. But I hadn't done that yet. I had just passed along that information that I gave you. So next, I want to share with you the first email reading I received from Marilyn based on that limited amount of information. Marilyn starts out, Megan is a soul who definitely wishes to make contact with her family and apparently has some level of permission from God to do so. I have some random things to share that she showed me. I don't know what they mean. We'll let the family see if they mean anything. Let me interject that even though she gives me this information and I pass it along to the family, I never give Marilyn any feedback on any of that information. I never tell her what's a hit, what isn't. So here are some of the things that she has to say. First, she showed me what appeared to be a college environment. This is in fact correct. Megan was in college right before she committed suicide. She was about 20 years old when she died. Again, she had no way of knowing that. 
back to her reading. The next part was definitely not what I was expecting. I don't know what this means, but I watched her begin on campus and then somehow get lost. She ended up not being on campus, but I didn't feel like she was that far away. She wandered off with a woman who is definitely very clearly lesbian. It seems that Megan wasn't sure for a very, very short time of her identity, but she soon realized that she was not a lesbian and she refused to participate. My sense was that she was definitely showing me a time in the late teens, early 20s, I'll find out when the pictures arrive, if this is an appropriate age at which she died or not. Well, it did turn out to be an appropriate age. It was the exact time when she died. And the university angle does play into this as well, because Megan was raised in a major university town. And this kind of interplay comes back and forth in the reading over and over again. So these couple of facts were really, really important. And they became even more important after Marilyn received the photos and Megan's hat, and then continued with her second reading. Here, I'll share with you some of that. Megan told me that her death was very, very hard on her mom, and that she really loved her mom and had a very close relationship with her. Now, before you scoff at this, I have to tell you, I've done a bunch of readings at this point, and it's certainly not a given that there's a strong bond between a daughter and a mother. <laughs> Sometimes there's a lot of animosity there. So this is also a, a hit, a minor hit, but it's a hit. And also, uh, you know, since I hadn't revealed to Michelle that it was Megan's mother who was trying to connect or even the name of the person who was trying to connect, whether it was a male or a female, uh, it makes it even more interesting. So before you kind of dismiss some of these things, go, of course, of course, because you already know the end story. Think back and remember the information that you had. You didn't have any of that information. Okay, next we have a couple of points that turn out to be very, very significant to the family in terms of understanding Megan's death. The first is Marilyn reports that Megan experienced a returning home to her faith, like she had been somewhere else for a while. Marilyn's reading says it was like she had been somewhere else for a while, maybe off to college or a different location. Maybe she just went away from the church and she came back and she was very happy to be back. But she goes on to say it was kind of a calm before the storm. This is Marilyn again. Yes, I'm hearing from her underlined a calm before the storm. She thought she had found her way back home, but something else was going to happen. Then she said, the woman told me a different story. Something she told me wasn't true. She emphasized this again and now writes this. Now, I know all that might sound a little bit cryptic, but it's very important, very relevant to the story. Because as it turns out, this is exactly the kind of spiritual crisis, if you will, that Megan was going through. And it doesn't matter what you think about a spiritual crisis. It's her experience and it's what her mother recalls her going through. So, so she had somehow drifted away from her spiritual tradition. Then she had found her way back. She was back reading the Bible and in a Christian group because that's what was important to her. But then that was the calm before the storm. And then the storm, of course is her eventual suicide. I don't think that's really reading too much into it. That's pretty much what the reading says. And as you'll soon hear, Megan's mom confirms this is actually what happens. So back to Marilyn's reading. Marilyn writes that this case reminds her of another case she worked on where a family member came and said that, where a family had come to her and said that they'd lost someone through an accident, but the police had never figured out that this had been an accident or a suicide or a murder, and it caused a lot of pain in the family. She goes on to say that Megan's case sounds something like this to me. There's something about Megan that the family does not fully know. But based on the way she's presented this to me, I'm not sure that the family knows that there is something they don't know yet. 
Now, this part of the reading turns out to be very significant to Megan's mom. In fact, it was the primary reason she contacted me, although I didn't know it at the time. I only knew it after I revealed this reading to her, and she came back and said, I have to tell you, Megan's death has caused a major divide in our family. Her death was clearly a suicide, but there's a part of my family who isn't willing to accept that she really killed herself, and they think that there's other reasons behind it. She was on medication, antidepressant medication. She had gone through some uh, car accident, was on pain medication, and they want to believe that there were other reasons behind it, and it's caused a real divide in our family. So that is certainly a very, very unusual set of circumstances, and I have no way of explaining how Marilyn could possibly tune into that. Now, Marilyn provided three more email readings for the family. Two of them were very brief, and one of them was pretty long. The amount of factual, verifiable data in them is relatively small, but they altogether had a very, very profound effect on the family. But there is one other little verifiable fact that came through that I think is amazing in the way that so many of these readings are amazing, in that it's a very, very small point, but it had great significance to the family. It's in the last reading that Marilyn provides, and she says, I see Megan, and she's smiling, and there are these flowers all around her face. It's a strange symbol. And then she goes on to say, I think these flowers are peonies. Now, the only reason this point's important, and the only person this point is important to, is Megan's mom. Because right around the time that she received this message, she had been talking to her husband about planting a garden specifically for Megan, to honor Megan. And she was asking her husband what kind of flowers she thinks that she should plant in there. And just about this time, she gets this message. Coincidence? Synchronicity? Who knows? Just another point to add to the whole story. And you'll hear more about that a little later when we talk to Megan's mom. But first, I want to go back to my second interview with Marilyn. This is a follow-up. The trial's basically over. I'm ready to share the results with Marilyn. And I also want to talk about the process that she went through in arriving at this rather remarkable data. So what was your process in terms of connecting with Megan? Well, you know, with Megan, it was almost instantaneous. Um, you had given me, I think it was via email, or was it, I don't know if we spoke on the phone or if you'd given it, I think you gave it to me via email, and then I just asked for the date of death because sometimes it's very important and helpful when you know how long someone has been crossed over because there are different stages in death, and so um, different types of timing, you're going to be more likely to reach them in different locations. But with Megan... As soon as I got her name and you gave me those dates, I could feel her. She was just all over me. And it was like, wow, this this girl wants to talk to her family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then it was that very night. The process is really not something that I control. But what I, uh, it's a process where um, when I go to bed at night, I have these out-of-body experiences, and then the person who is deceased will show me things. And a lot of times they show you, and I believe I experienced based on what you just shared with me, her moment of death um, in the last reading. I think that's when, when she probably died because I had woken up uh, bone cold. Uh, it was in, I don't know if you recall this. She was in a room, and she, I woke up bone cold, and that's what felt like, oh, she must have died then. So the process is going, you know, you go out of body, the person takes you 
on a on a visual where you like re- almost experience it with them. It's almost like you become them in the experience where you're experiencing part of their life as them so you can feel their emotions, their feelings, everything that's going through their mind and that's part of the process that is very important for the usually for the remaining family members because um a lot of times in a situation like this um the difference is uh exactly what was it that this person was confused about and because uh, the families always blame themselves and it's always helpful for them to know if it's possible what was it that led to the 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 moment uh of their death mm-hmm. that and what were they thinking and how did that come about what who were the people that led them there what was the actual you know um and a lot of times too it's about taking that personal responsibility which they always do after death we all do we all have to take the personal responsibility for our own decisions and stuff but then it's um there's there's so many things involved in it but it's primarily something that is led by i i i believe that it's led by god and he allows people to do this when it's helpful for their spirit and for someone who might be left behind um if you'll recall in our first conversation i said the one the one factor that i have no control over is whether or not it's allowed and a lot of times in a situation because i don't control it i don't just you know conjure it up and and stuff it it comes to me or it doesn't and um generally in a situation or someone has some unfinished business after crossing over there's more likely a chance that they will be allowed to do this um and to share this kind of experience and come back through someone who has a gift like this than if um if there's not any major unfinished business you know it's that's interesting and it's also interesting that you're talking about God and the religious mysticism aspect of it. It's particularly interesting in this case, and this can be very controversial and very challenging for a lot of folks, but these are just the facts of this case. One of the things that you reported in your reading was this struggle that Megan was having and how she had uh, gone and drifted away from her spiritual path and had run into some pretty bad people along the way, and then she had found her way back uh, mm-hmm. on her spiritual path and was, uh, I don't know if you said specifically that she was reading the Bible or not. But she was back in a church. Back in a church. Was well, back in a group, uh, a religious group of some kind. Uh, the, the way she presented to me, it was the faith of her youth. Well, this is exactly what happened in Megan's case. So again, wow, this is after, okay. yeah, she had, a, she, while she was at university, she had befriended uh, this woman who was really kind of a bad news person. This woman was running, uh, was somewhat of a psychic, but was running a psychic scam. And uh, they Uh. had kind of a bank of phones. This woman also had a Wicca background. Uh, uh, You know, whether that's good or bad. That explains a lot. Explains a lot, yes. And this, this relationship was, you know, quite troubling to Megan and to her family. But her mother reports that near the end she had come back to her christian faith and was trying to get back into that and was reading the bible regularly and that so again these are just the facts and they match perfectly with the reading that you gave 
and there really isn't an, a good or reasonable explanation for why you would connect any of that up or why you would provide any of that information. Now, Marilyn and I went over a number of other points about her reading, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in our conversation. I mean, you've given a lot of information here. It, it's not it's not like talking on a phone. You know? Right. I mean, I'm sure it isn't for you, but it certainly isn't in terms of the, you know, the information you're getting. Some of it is allegorical and has kind of other kinds of meaning that has to be kind of teased out of it. And some of it's very specific. So right, yeah. kind of giving a, a, a summation. I'll tell you one specific thing that you gave that had tr tremendous meaning for okay. Megan's mom was the flowers. And, really? Uh, yes. So she made a big deal about the flowers, and I almost, I was almost hesitant to even write it because I was like, how could this mean something? <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'll just say it. <laughs> That's interesting. What meaning did that have? Megan's mom was in the process of building a flower bed specifically for Megan to kind of celebrate Megan and had been talking to her husband about, you know, I really want to start a little flower garden. In... Wow, I'm getting slammed. Ah. <laughs> now I understand, because she had the flowers around her head, and she, you know, it was just kind of like, a, it didn't quite make sense, you know, but now it makes perfect sense that, yeah. uh, that the flowers would be surrounding her. <laughs> and those, wow. And those specific flowers... That you, that you, you, you said, I, I can't say, I can't, I can't pronounce Peonies? Were they oh, peonies? peonies? Okay. I, I, I can't remember, but, you know, Megan's mom was so uh, moved by this that she went and researched these flowers and found that they were exactly the kind that you were looking for. They were indigenous to Texas. They met all the, the criteria that she had, you know, laid out <laughs> in her mind in terms of how to construct this, this flower bed to honor her daughter. So I think this Wow. Is... That's so exciting to hear that. You know, one of the interesting things about doing an experiment like this is that most of the time when I'm when this sort of thing is happening, I know a little bit about the family. Sometimes I don't know a whole lot like in that particular instance that I mentioned where it reminded me of where they didn't know if it was an accident, suicide, or murder, but I didn't know that until the, the person, the deceased person had come and told me, tell my brother it was an accident. And then he said, wow, that's really great because we didn't know if it was an accident, a murder, or suicide. The police could never figure it out. And so, um, uh, but most of the time, I don't know, I know a little bit about the people or, um, They've written to me and they have information a little bit, you know, so I have a little bit to go on and then they give me feedback. And so this was actually very interesting for me to do as well because of the fact that there was the no feedback rule. And so it was, it was kind of running blind and just hoping that you're, uh, you're, you're catching what she's saying correctly and seeing things correctly and translating it correctly. You know what I mean? Oh, so that's absolutely. really exciting to hear, you know. Of so many of the things that we had that, that that she had shared with me, that I got it right, and that it was helpful. You know what I mean? Well, and I think, and you can tell me if this is typical or not. And this is also going to be very, very challenging for a lot of folks who aren't comfortable with this whole idea. Right. But beyond the the specific data that was evidential, and there was a lot of it. There were a lot of just uncanny coincidences that happened 
with Megan's mom during this process, during this really, yeah, in terms of emails that she got, in terms of lights going on and off, uh, completely in a way that she had associated in the past with Megan's presence being close to her. Um, and in terms of her, her just knowing and feeling Megan's presence and feeling resolution to these things. So I don't know if that's typical, but it sounds like to me from talking to Megan's mom that this process that she went through in working with you without even knowing your name and knowing who you were, <laughs> but the, the process was very transformative for her. A lot of times it does it does happen like that. Not necessarily always like lights going on and off where there's physical phenomenon, but a lot of times people will actually have. Um, uh, but of course, this will happen more with people who like may have been to my website and they know what I look like, uh, where they'll see me in dreams and I'll tell them things or mm -hmm. things like that. Um, there will be kind of a, a mutual where there's information that's kind of moving. Uh, through both parties at the same time. And of course, the, I think in Megan's case, um, she obviously, it was so strong. Um, and it's interesting because just yesterday I was meeting with somebody who um, really wants to uh, make contact with a daughter who had died about 16 years ago. And I didn't feel a thing, you know, and it might be something where it comes up, uh, you know, in a week or two, because I've I mentioned to you in our first conversation, sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it takes three months. Sometimes it takes six months and sometimes it never happens. It's, it's all up to the will of God, not me. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very interesting with Megan because she was just immediate. She really wanted to communicate with her mother and, um, and she made a lot of effort to do so. And uh, it was almost it was almost difficult to keep up with her because there were so many interesting twists in her story, and knowing nothing about the story, you're like, okay, well, uh, I think I might have mentioned this in my first email. This is either really right on or just really crazy stuff. <laughs> 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 because I had no idea, you know, about whether or not you know all these interesting twists and turns. Um, where it was, but but that's what kind of uh, ironically makes doing an experiment like this very interesting too because she had a case where it would be highly difficult to guess that all the circumstances around it and when I actually she was showing them to me it was a little bit well this is kind of a little far out this is probably you know uh, you know it was kind of difficult uh, just receiving it and saying well um, and you know even with the um, the issue of questioning her sexuality and the woman who was a lesbian, I did, you know, you don't want to uh, make things worse with the family if this is right. something they don't know about or if it's not correct. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're very, you know, so this was actually probably a very interesting case to utilize because it had so many interesting um, facets to it. I think we stayed very true to our original goal of keeping it you know, blinded and assigned. Totally blind, yes. yeah. And, and I think it's also, it's been a learning process for me, too, in terms of how to do these experiments. And I think so many things came out of this process for me. And, and one of the big things came out is just how important this work is for the people involved. And I want to make sure that going forward, I really honor that and I really 
respect that and do that work from that, you know, do this experiment, which is important. The scientific part of it is important. But I, going forward, I really want to make sure that we do this from that place, from that place of honor and respect, because, you know, there is a higher, there is some kind of higher meaning to all this. And that's, the, we have to honor that while we discover it. It's really important that people know that, well, there's, there's been a, a lot of people here about the people who will just say they connect with the dead for random purposes, but it's really important for people to know that when, when this kind of contact is actually allowed, it's for what I would call an eternal purpose. And you're absolutely right. It has to be respected and honored because the purpose of it has to do with that family and that soul who have something they need to communicate to one another. And it's very important that that be uh, the primary target, so to speak, uh, which is what the, and one of the things, part of my process, as you asked earlier, was every night as I was getting ready to go to bed and prepare to have out-of-body experiences and stuff, I would ask Megan, I'd say, okay, Megan, what does your mother need to hear from you? What do you need to say to her for her to be okay and for you to be okay? And you need to be real specific with me here so that we can get right to what she needs from you and what you need from her. Uh, and I would try to focus her in also and say, okay, now this is going to be real hard for me to keep track of all these details right before your life because it's very complicated. But we need to make sure that we get what she needs to know. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like in that one instance, it was simple. It was... It was an accident, not suicide or murder. And uh, in this case, it was a lot, a lot more complicated. It was and very so that's complicated. And kind of made it inter interesting. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, and it, it, that's, even that is evidential, right? Yeah. Because this is a very, very complicated situation. And I'm just giving yes. you kind of a thumbnail sketch of, you know, uh, of everything that, that went on. But it was, uh, it was very complicated. Well, um, Marilyn, we are going to, I'm going to be in touch with you and I'm hoping we can collaborate and do some other things in, in the future. I, I think your work is wonderful and I encourage everyone to check out, even though you may have those initial kind of reservations and doubts, whether it's okay to go to something called the out of body travel foundation.org, <laughs> please do so and stretch your mind a little bit and you never know what you might discover. So, well, the web address is actually outofbodytravel.org, but it's called the Out of Body Travel Foundation. Okay. I'm sorry. I tell you what, if you, you have quite a presence on the web, if someone Googles out of body travel, they're going to find you. I, I have no doubt about that. That's true. The, it's number one on all the search engines, so they should be able to find it. If you just look up out of body travel, you'll find it. It's the Out of Body Travel Foundation website. And there's all sorts of resources on it, including uh, some, there's a special video section called Science and Research that has a lot of video footage of a lot of the science that's being done around out-of-body travel, near-death experiences, and reincarnation. So there's a lot of resources even for those who want to look into the science of it. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Alex. It's been a great experience. Okay, well, the last interview I wanted to share with you is with Megan's mom, Michelle. Here are some clips 
from that interview? Another of the the most profound facets of of the information that Marilyn sent is was immediately where she conveyed that Megan had was conveying to her that she had been seeking and searching spiritually before her death and that she was, you know, that she had been confused, you know, she had been misled and she had been confused. And that then now that she was uh, communicating through Marilyn, that she, that she got, she, she's on the right track now. And that was profound to me because that's exact. Megan was, Megan was spiritually, uh, seeking and and she had stumbled onto the you know into wrong some wrong paths and um, right before she died and she was reading the Bible every day and uh, you know um, praying and and she just you know she felt like she had she that was that was where she needed to be that's where she was finding her answers and i thought that was so profound that that marilyn was able to um interpret that through megan and and she knew nothing about that and and I, I don't feel like it was just irony, you know. I think that that Megan was saying, "Ah, oh, this is the real answer, Mom. This is, you know, this is what um, what I was seeking, and and this is the truth." And um, so I, I thought that was really amazing that Megan felt it important to even communicate that part. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty remarkable too. It's kind of hard objectively to pick out that kind of information and say that that's some general right. information that someone would, would give. And, and again, you know, through the whole process, uh, suicide was never mentioned to Marilyn. She never knew until a half an hour ago when I spoke to her on the phone that, really? uh, yeah, she never knew that. And that was never disclosed to her. So, oh, and she never knew that the, the exact conflict that was surrounding the issue of Megan's passing until I just told her, told it to her. And she was like, wow, that really makes a lot of sense in yeah. terms of what she was getting from Megan. So right. it's been a very interesting experience and a great experience and a, and an opening experience for me too. You know, I mentioned to Marilyn, this has helped me understand how I need to go forward in doing this work in the future and how we do need to really, really respect, you know, the work that's being done from the other side and the work that's being done with the people who are still here and all that. So I, I really appreciate your, your openness, Michelle, and your willingness to, to share this story and to participate in this. It, it's been really great. Well, it's, you know, I've been so grateful and I, I can tell you, Alex, that there has been a huge healing component in all of this. Um, there really has, and as you know, as sad and as um, you know, as traumatic and and all of that that it's been. If you know, if there can be good, there ha there has been there has been good from it. You know, and this is this has been huge, and and it, and it just was, uh, <clears throat> you know, just a reminder, and and then um, just a reminder that. Well, you know, we really are just 
spiritual beings having a human experience and i and i know that she's you know i know i know that she's still here with me and like you did mention that the lights went on and off and yeah that that is a has been a very very real phenomenon ever since she died um and more more so in the beginning and you know in the beginning but it did happen the other day when i was specifically communicating over the phone to my husband i was in tears and i w- i had just received this email this answer that i'd been looking for for all this time and i was very emotional and my husband said you know he he had read the email from marilyn and he said um you know megan marilyn said that you know megan is said that you know she's going through this process of healing and understanding and you know where she is which is different from where you are but it's still a process and and she's going through it just like you are trying to you know trying to understand and mm-hmm. and she's seeking for answers and and when he said that and I started crying the electricity in the whole entire house went out. Right, right. And I, you know, I've lived here two years and that has never happened. Right. Um, when she died in the apartment that I had, you know, for the two years after she died, that happened all the time. And just, I mean, just amazing, amazing, miraculous ways. Um, but it had not happened here. And uh, for it to happen at that moment was my, that was confirmation that Megan was listening in on that conversation. Megan knew exactly what we were talking about, and that was her way of communicating right on. That's exactly right, you know? So what do you think? Are we to believe everything that Marilyn Hughes has to say about the spiritual realm just because she gave some pretty accurate information on this reading? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you this. You know, a couple months ago, Dr. Julie Beischel from the Winbridge Institute, you know, one of the foremost researchers in this area, well, she was out here in San Diego and gave a very excellent public presentation. And she also, with the help of a very hardworking volunteer named David Jasperson, was able to set up some very interesting meetings with hospice workers on one hand and grief counselors on the other. And as Julie was recounting what had, what had transpired during her trip and what she learned, it became clear to me just how outrageously out of balance our intellectual perspective is on this topic. I mean, consider for a minute, whether you believe everything that Marilyn Hughes has to say or not, just consider for a minute that we're training thousands of grief counselors across the United States, and we're sending them out in the field, and we're not exposing them to any of this information. And the reason we're not is because we don't know if it's real. And the reason we don't know if it's real is because we haven't bothered to look. I mean, if I can sit here and in a couple months put together a demonstration like this, a demonstration that is highly suggestive of some kind of anomalous communication and is at the very least highly suggestive that the process can be very beneficial to the grieving, how can we ignore it? And if you're a skeptic, how can you possibly justify standing in the way of this research going forward? 
I'm not talking about taking sides. I'm not talking about converting you to the believing. I'm talking about why would you want to be an impediment to finding out whether this works, whether it works in terms of communicating with the dead or whether it works with comforting the grieving. Yet that's the exact situation we're in. We've allowed our quote-unquote mainstream scientists and the skeptical community to create a huge barrier, a barrier that's been impossible for most researchers to overcome. And hence, this research just doesn't get done. Now, in the months to come, I'm hoping to, in a small way, change that. I'm hoping to fund a couple of research projects, perhaps at a couple of universities, and see if we can get some kindling going and maybe get a little fire under a couple people to start this research, because it's desperately needed. And of course, if you have any ideas or suggestions about how we might do that or how we might do that most effectively, please let me know. Well, this show's been running on pretty long here. A lot of interviews to get in. But before I leave, I want to give a special thanks to Marilyn Hughes for all the time that she devoted to this project. She did it on a volunteer basis and with an open heart and a very open spirit of exploration. And I also want to thank Megan's mom, Michelle for the time, energy, and openness that she showed towards this project. If you'd like more information about this episode or any of our previous episodes, please check out our website at skeptiko.com. You'll also find a link to our forum, an email link for me, and you'll find a new website look there. I hope it didn't give you too much trouble in turning over the feed to iTunes, but I think we have that straightened out. And we have many, many more interesting interviews coming up in the near future. So stay with us for all of that. Until next time, take care and bye for now.